Hi everybody, my name is Farah and welcome to Christian Fellowship Church. We're so glad that you tuned in with us this Sunday morning. Um, obviously we can't be all together, but this is the next best thing and we're so thankful. And so we wanted to let you know about a couple things that are still happening within our church, even if we're not gathered together. And so this Thursday evening at 7 p.m., we will begin um, a new study. We're going to have a video and some further study on our Sunday morning service. So this is an opportunity for you to go deeper into the word um, that Pastor Bruce shares with us and to just deepen your relationship with God. Um, so that will be starting Thursday at 7 p.m. You can check it out on our Facebook page and our YouTube page. As well, this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., Joanna will be sharing with us about a course that our church has been doing that considers the deeper questions in life. Um, who am I? What is life about? All these things. And so if you're interested in that, you can tune in at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night. As well, this next Sunday, in one week from today, kids, be excited. We're finally having Sunday school for you. So you can tune in at 1 p.m. on Sunday, and we'll finally be having uh, Sunday school for you guys. We know our teachers really miss you, and so they're definitely excited about it. And the last thing is we want to remind you that you are able to, sh to give your tithes and your offering online. And so you can give it via um, e-transfer at christianfellowshipns at gmail.com, or you can mail in checks. Um, we'll include the mailing address on the screen. And then the last way you can give is you can come into the office here and We've got a nice wiped down, disinfected <laughs> machine that you can give your tithes on. Um, so, yeah, we just want to remind you of that. Um, and so during all of the stuff that's going on with COVID-19, it's very easy for us to wonder what's going on. Um, and it's very easy for us to ask God, what are you doing? Where are you? Um, sometimes we're getting stuck in our house for a long time and we're wondering, God, how long is this going to last? And so sometimes we can wonder, is it okay to even ask these questions? Um, but that's something that Pastor Bruce is going to be discussing in our Sunday morning services over the course of the next three weeks. And it's actually something that a prophet in the Bible asked too. And so um, if you just keep staying tuned in, you'll hear more about that. Um, and so just before that, we're going to share one song. It's called Another in the Fire by Hillsong.
Good morning, everyone, and uh, I trust that you're enjoying this church service so far. Why? It just, it's just so hard to get used to doing this, um, sitting here in front of a camera, uh, sharing a Sunday morning message, and when we're so accustomed to being together and enjoying, just enjoying each other and enjoying the presence of God in worship and uh, the scriptures and prayer, uh, it just seems so different, and I'm sure it's just as different for you as it is is for me. 
these are indeed very unusual times. Uh, the stories of people that have died and this, their surviving loved ones um, crying out as, the, you know, we didn't get to say goodbye. They were in a, a nursing home or they were someplace in a hospital and they they passed away without us having a chance to say goodbye. And, and the stories become very, very painful to hear. And of course they are. And then the numbers of people, the, the tens of thousands of people that are around the world that are dying uh, from this pandemic, it, it, it gets to the point where we're just looking at numbers and we fail to realize sometimes that every, every person is a story and they have their own great pain and, and uh, sense of loss and grief and sorrow that is coming from it. Uh, just yesterday, the uh, government of Canada announced that the uh, gross domestic product for the month of March for Canada is down 8%. So an 8% drop in the GDP is the most that has ever occurred in one month in the history of our nation. So it's not just the deaths that are taking place and the sorrow that's associated with that, but it's the economic loss. And, and, and of course, there's the collective loss, like the loss of our GDP uh, falling so much, but then there's the personal losses of not enough income and can I do I have enough money to uh, sustain myself or pay the mortgage or how do I how do we get out of this someday? So all of these are creating fears and worries, concerns, and a lot of anxiety. Well, uh, our prayers are with everyone this morning for our nation, for the nations of the world. And uh, we, we want to pray that God would stop this pandemic and that uh, there would be uh, an easing of the suffering that uh, humankind is experiencing right now. Well, I want to talk to you today about an unusual, an unusual subject. It's about a prophet in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament, who uh, had a real complaint against God. In his view, prayer was pointless. He was going through a really hard time, as was the whole nation of Judah, but, and, and he had cried out to God for help, but nothing seemed to, to happen. And uh, it's, I'm going to read four verses from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? So he's calling for help, but God's not listening. Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. If you do hear me, you're not doing anything about it. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Well, it's quite a way to open a book of the Bible. It certainly doesn't encourage prayer if you just read that much. In fact, uh, Habakkuk, and, and the first writer I ever read that mentioned him this way, a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, who wrote about 110 years ago about Habakkuk, and he said Habakkuk was an agnostic. And when I read that he said that, I thought, wow, that's a powerful statement. And I'll talk about that a little, a little more uh, later on. But let's just uh, go through this verse by verse, by verse. It says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? So he, he describes that he has received something from God and he's going to give it to the people. But then he says, in a way, uh, I, I, no, I really didn't receive anything. At least that's how it reads when we first start out. So he's expressing a tremendous conflict of faith. God has made promises and God is not silent, but he is silent. So there was a, a skepticism within him that he that he just couldn't reconcile. Why is it that the promises of God so often are left unfulfilled? And, and why, oh God, why have I cried out to you? I've, I've called out to you, but you haven't answered. And I've cried out to you, and you've just been silent. Well, 
that's one side of prayer. It's a side that we see in the Bible quite often, but it's certainly not the whole picture. In fact, the Bible teaches us that a prayer could produce the most miraculous results. And all through the Bible, from Genesis right through to the book of Revelation, prayer is mentioned over and over and over again. And uh, it, 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 the Bible is full of the interventions of God in human affairs as a result of prayer. Uh, in the book of Acts chapter 12, this is an interesting example. Uh, Peter uh, was thrown into prison because he had been preaching the gospel. And the religious leaders were very angry with him for that because they saw him as being contrary to their religion. And uh, so they had him thrown into, into prison. And uh, it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So you have two realities, prison and prayer. Now, while Peter is praying, uh, he gets what he thinks is a vision. He doesn't uh, think that it's real. But an angel appears to him and tells him to get up. And the chains are, are not on him anymore. They've fallen off. And he just doesn't, uh, he, you know, it's, it's a dream. And he, he, they walk down a corridor and past one row of guards and another row of guards and then uh, through gates. And then uh, the next thing you know, the main gate of the prison is open and he's out on the street and the angel disappears. And, and then he, he sort of comes to himself. I, uh, it's real. How did I get out there? So a miraculous intervention that spared the life of Peter all the while while the church is praying. So prayer, prison, and the miraculous all went together. So it's quite different than what Habakkuk was experiencing. And then, of course, in, of course, in the Gospels, so many accounts of people that came to Jesus and expressed their needs to him. Um, one of the uh, persons that had that happen was a man named Jarius. And it says uh, one of the synagogue leaders named Jarius came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now here, here is a man who really is a synagogue leader. So he is uh, of the group of people, the uh, the Jewish people, that were threatened by Jesus. So he, at his own risk, left the synagogue and came to Jesus. Now, he had become aware that Jesus often touched people. And when he did, they were healed. Uh, even touching lepers, which was forbidden by the law, but Jesus did it anyway. Not because he was a lawbreaker, but because he transcended the law. Anyway, he had seen this, and he said, if you'll just come and, and, just, and just lay hands on my daughter, she'll be healed. And, and then it, and it says, so Jesus went with him. That's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 22 to verses 24. So here's the, an opposite, opposite response to what Habakkuk experienced. Jesus went with him. Well, how come he didn't show up for Habakkuk? How come we, we don't have that conscious uh, awareness of the presence of God in response to our prayers sometimes? And Jesus himself said that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Plea, uh, uh, for everyone who asks, receive, receives, and the one who who, not, who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So ask, seek, and knock, and doors will be opened, and you'll receive. The answer will come. Those were the promises of, of Jesus. And yet, what happens when you ask, but you don't receive, and you knock, and it seems that no answer is given, no way out of your situation? Uh, when you just... Um, find yourself locked into the same situation as you were before. What about prayers that don't get answered? Or at least we become we, we th aware that they're not answered, or we think they're not answered, or we don't understand why the results are so different than the miraculous interventions. 
sometimes people say, well, the reason that you didn't get an answer to your plea was because God was saying no to you. He was just saying no, so that's why it didn't happen. Well, okay, if that's the case, why didn't God say so? Is silence another expression of no? If your child came to you and said, uh, Dad or Mom, can I have this or do this or watch this, and you didn't want them to, would you just be silent, distant, unresponsive? Or would you say, no, honey, I can't, I can't allow you to do that. So you'd give an answer and then most likely a reason for the answer. But why silence? And that's what Habakkuk cried out. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? It's, it's like God doesn't even hear, let alone hear and say no. Well, uh, as, as the next part of the verse goes on to say, it says, I, I cry and you don't, or I call out to you and you don't listen. And he says, or I cry out to you violence, but you do not you do not save. And, and, and so now we're into a, a, a stronger expression. It's a cry now. It's, it's something that expresses uh, intense emotional anguish. It's desperation. It's not just, God, will you give me a new bicycle for my birthday? But this is more than that. This is deep trouble. This is a, a cry, a, a cry of the heart that uh, involves so much depth of soul and spirit and and, uh, and emotions, every part of a person's be- being, even physically, not able to sleep probably or or eat, and just uh, it, it's that kind of desperation. Now, Habakkuk was what we call a pre-exilic prophet, which means that Judah, which was a part of the entire nation of Israel, uh, was being threatened, and there was violence that was happening all around them, and they were being threatened with violence. Now, previous to this, in the year 722 be, uh, before Christ, the, no, uh, the northern kingdoms of Israel had already been captured, had already been brought into uh, uh, a, a place of captivity, they had already been taken away captives by Assyrians, and so they were in a. They were gone. Uh, their nation was no more. They had lost their lands, and they were basically slaves. And so Habakkuk is worried this is going to happen to us, and so he looks everywhere for help. He looks to the Egyptians and the Assyrians themselves, and says, "Listen." There's something else happening here you need to be aware of. The Babylonians, this nation of Bab- from Babylon, they're coming. And uh, they're powerful. They're, they're greater in strength than you are. We need to ally together and see if we can't uh, form a coalition that will be strong enough to resist them. But Egypt and Assyria wouldn't have nothing to do with them. So Judah was being locked in. This tiny little nation was locked in. They were surrounded by the enemies that had already uh, taken so much of the nation of Israel away. And so Habakkuk is saying, God, help us. If you don't, we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be overrun. And the violence that the Babylonians are noted for will just come and so many of us will be killed and our our families will be destroyed and our women will be destroyed. violated, and who knows what will happen to our children. Uh, This was a real, real desperate man. Now, it's interesting to note that uh, the book of Habakkuk is is a prophecy, because God does speak through it, but it's so different than all of the other prophets, with the exception of one, in that the other prophets of the Old Testament say, this is the word of the Lord. And so, they would say, I, I am uh, this prophet, and the name would be given, Nahum, Obadiah, Micah, all, so many different other prophets. And then they would decree what God had said. And often it had to do with judgment. Now, when it came to uh, Habakkuk, 
he gets up and it's not a decree or a pronouncement of judgment. It's a request for judgment. It's, God, please do something. Judge these terrible people that are assailing us and are going to destroy us. So it's quite different. It's really the, a book about the, the personal experience of the prophet himself. The only other book like that is the book of Jonah, where Jonah is a prophet. But Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with what God wants him to prophesy because he hated the people that God was sending him to uh, to reach. And so Jonah's story is the content of the book of Jonah, the prophecy of Jonah, as is Habakkuk. So they're different in that respect. Now, uh, the next verse, why do you make me look at injustice? This is verse three. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now, here we we look at some of the things he says, and he says, God, why? So here's questioning God again. Uh, How long do I I cry out? You don't hear. And and then why, God, when you do answer, it's really causing me to look at injustice. Uh, All I see is injustice, and you're the one who's making me look at it. You're not showing me anything else. And why do you tolerate wrong wrongdoing? Wrongdoing is happening because you're tolerating it. It's not really the responsibility of the people who are doing the wrong if you have the ability to stop it. So here he's he's projecting back on God, not just his doubts, but his frustrations. And he's saying... You're, tall, you're the one that could do something about it, but you never do. And that's often the question that people ask about God. If there's a God, why do so many people perish in war? Why is there so much uh, hunger in the world? Every 10 seconds, a child somewhere in the world dies of hunger. Every 10 seconds. And if there's a, if there's a God somewhere out there, is, is he not seeing this? Why does he have us look at it and lament and wonder what we can do about it, but remain seemingly disengaged somewhere else? Uh, Even if he cares, he doesn't show it. And so why do you make me look at this? Why do you permit it? Hmm. Well, injustice has to do with something that's not fair. It's... uh, Justice implies that uh, there there could be something that could rectify things, but instead, that which is unfair remains. One in nine people go to bed hungry in our world every day. Imagine that. One in every nine. Um, If you have food in your table... You have three meals a day and maybe a bed, <laughs> bedtime snack. How privileged are you? How, certainly that applies to me. Uh, I, I don't want for food. So I, I'm one of the privileged of this world. And, uh, and we can look from a distance at places around the world where children are dying or there's so much poverty, there's so much hunger, and yet it's it's more statistical than it is personal. It's somewhere else. And we can be moved with compassion and maybe give some money to some of the aid organizations that exist and and uh, and have genuine compassion, but it's, it's uh, compassion from a distance. And we see in our own country an increase of violence, uh, murder, guns, you look at what's happening in the city of Toronto and the increase, the alarming increase of murder by guns. It's almost like every day you, you turn on the news and there's somebody else has been shot in Toronto, if not killed, then wounded very badly. And so these are these are things that are right, happening right close to us. And yet even Toronto can have a, a bit of a distance from us. Well, family violence, why do you cause me to just look at injustice and you tolerate wrongdoing? And all I, this is, I'm, I'm seeing this all, all the time. 
and yet right here at home around us, children could be suffering from abuse in their homes. And we wish that there could be justice. We wish that this we could stop all of this, but and often we, the the law does its very best to rescue people, but it still always seems to fall short of what it should be. Verse four, he says, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that the just so that justice is perverted. So the law, he says, is paralyzed. The law is that body of truth that differentiates between what is right and what is wrong. In the Bible, the Bible is full of the laws of God. The laws of God were given to manage sin, to prevent sin from having the full impact that it would have if there were no law. In our own criminal justice system, our own civil laws, the laws are there for the same, for the same reason. To manage evil, to pre- prevent it from happening, and and uh, uh, have consequences for when it does happen. So he, what he's saying in his situation, well, as good as that might be somewhere else, where I am, the, the law is paralyzed. It's, it's, it's like it's alive, but it's been hit with a stun gun. Somebody tasered the law. I, I don't have, uh, it's powerless. It's, it's alive, but it's immobile. It's just, it's, there's right and there's wrong, but nothing's happening to change that. Six times in the book of Habakkuk, uh, the prophet speaks about violence. And this is not just physical violence, but it's injury to someone as a result of a, of a violation of moral law. And that can take many forms. A person who cheats, a person who steals, um, a child at school who's bullied. These, these are moral violations against someone. And he's crying out against it and pleading for God to help. And then he says, uh, he says, um, the wicked hem in the righteous. It's, it's like you can be trapped in this. And this was his experience. There's Babylonians are all around us. They're coming and and I feel hemmed in, locked in. Uh, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run, no place to hide. I'm surrounded. My world is falling apart. Well, <laughs> uh, People are feeling that right now in the world because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But there's other reasons why people feel that way. There can be a desperate situation in a person's family or their health or their finances. or There's just so many things that can crowd into a person's life to say, things aren't fair. I wasn't treated fairly. I my husband left me or so many things. Uh, my parents were abusive towards me and uh, the litany of human suffering because of things that just were not fair and not right is almost endless. And so, and so for, for right now in this present crisis, for sure, there is a sense of God. Why don't you just simply stop this? Are you judging us? Are you angry with the world? Why? Why, God, is this happening? Well, it's not, it's not just Habakkuk that had these experiences. Uh, in the Psalms, in fact, all through the Bible, we get these accounts of men and women who put their faith and trust in God, but they were frustrated and, and did not understand why God didn't answer their prayers. Listen to what... Asaph wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 73, uh, and he says this in verse 1. This is extremely interesting. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So there is a powerful opening statement. God is good, and he's good to his people. When their people have pure hearts, God's goodness is boundless. But as for me, and now listen to this. My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. 
hold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? And this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Well, you can't get it any worse than that. Here is a man who believes in God and, and says, I've really tried hard to do what's right, but you know what? It just as well if I hadn't. Because those who are wicked and perverse and do every imaginable thing that's evil, they are the ones who... It, 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 I think God is actually blessing them. Well, um, why is that in the Bible? Why, why would God, who superintended the writing of the Bible, ever put something like that in there? Why would he ever let Habakkuk make the statements that he did? Well, the answer to that is has to do with the goodness of God toward us. He wants us to express our distress to him and cry out to him from the depths of our soul and spirit whenever there are things that are going wrong and it doesn't seem that God has answered. Now, for the atheist, the atheist would say, well, none of this matters because there is no God. So life is explained by something like, well, life came from non-life. So there was just matter, but something happened, and uh, the theory is a, a big bang. So some small little atom exploded, or a part of an atom exploded, and when it did, the first little actual form of life took place. And now today, everything that's alive in the human world, the uh, animals, fish in the sea, it all came from that one little bang in uh, somewhere way back in the distant future. Uh, uh, in the distant past. So to the atheists, well, God is not a factor. But the uh, agnostic isn't quite like that. He says there might be a God, but you can't know for sure. Uh, so uh, God has to be proved. So so proof for the existence of God is, of God is, is subject to, to reason and science. So if there can be some kind of evidence for the, for the existence of God, then yes, I'll believe in the existence of God. And so uh, can you imagine that some writers of uh, Bible, some Bible commentators have actually said, well, Habakkuk was an agnostic? In a, in a way, for sure he was. Where's the evidence? God, you're the one who can do something, but you don't. And so he was a skeptic. Well, uh, whenever we come to the New Testament and for the evidence of God, and by the way, there's an awful lot more to the story of Habakkuk than what I'll talk about this morning. Uh, his story end, begins with, with anguish and ends with praise from despair to a song and, and the transitions in between that took, that took place that that helped him to see a picture that he wasn't aware of. He was, his sight was so myopic, it was so fixed on, on one thing, he couldn't see anything else. And I pray that as we go through this, uh, this will be a three Sunday morning series, that, that uh, this whole series will be of help to you. Uh, when in the New Testament, Paul is preaching and the New Testament writers are talking about God, uh, and about the proof of Jesus and his resurrection. Um, they are very aware of the skepticism and the doubt. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him from the dead, um, the dead are not raised. So there is no resurrection. There's no afterlife. But he goes on to say, but we, we gave you the proof. There was so much evidence of the people that saw him after his resurrection. And he's, he refers to, and, and he only lived 20 years away from the, when he wrote that, from when it actually happened. And he said, some of the people that actually literally saw him, uh, I, I've talked to them. And so it's, it's just, it's firsthand testimony that was true for Paul because he had Jesus appear to him personally on the road to Damascus. And then if, as time goes on and, and those testimonies become more in the distant past, there's so much more evidence that's available to that proves not just the existence of God, but the person of Jesus and his intervention in human affairs. The fact that when you cry out, he hears you. What would cause 12 men followers of Jesus, 11 of them, one of them living out his life in exile because of his testimony of Christ, his witness for Jesus, and 11 of them eleven of them dying as martyrs, given the option to deny what they were saying about Jesus and live, or if they continued to proclaim the resurrection of Christ, they would be killed. And all 11 of them were. How, how do you explain that? Uh, if it was just a concoction, if it was just some cleverly devised plan to start a new religion, would you really die for it if there was nothing to it? And so these become uh, questions that uh, people ask, and the answers are there. Uh, God, God has an answer for your cry for the desperation that you feel, for the, for the prayers that have not been answered. And we'll talk about that. Uh, I came across this testimony. I'm going to close with this. Uh, it's a man by the name of David Reed. And uh, he says this, For my whole life I have been skeptical and dismissive of religion. Christianity... Christianity is certainly not what I was looking for this time last year. I had a lot of questions and I needed to see a lot of evidence. I struggled against it. I tried every counter argument, but I was won over. I can no longer convince myself that the Gospels are not true. Trust me, I wish I could. That would be simpler. But to my surprise, I have come to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. I have the rest of my life to come to terms with that, but what about those people who have always known me uh, to be a fearsome skeptic of religion? And becoming a Christian has been a shock to my friends, my colleagues, and my wife. It has provoked a lot of questions from unexpected quarters, both sincere and scathing. But they are exactly the same questions I would have asked had it been someone else. So this is not something I expect rational people to just ignore. People have a right to ask questions. None of this is obvious. Very true. Um, not only do people deserve an answer, it's a privilege to get asked. Being questioned and challenged as a Christian has exposed me to some of people's most profound inner doubts of life itself. Even distant friends have reached out with earnest and often startling questions of the kind we tend not to share with other people. So as scary and as vulnerable as it can feel to come out in public as a new follower of Jesus, I am so grateful when people share their questions with me. And I don't for a minute believe that I have all the answers. I am still dumbfounded by the idea of religious belief being relevant to my life. I thought we were all done with that. Because of this, when talking about Jesus to those who doubt him, I always wanted to reassure people that they are safe. It's not my job to convert you. I'm not out to get you. I am under no illusions about that at all. I, 
I was just as much a cynic about this God stuff as you are now, and probably even more so. For the vast majority of my life so far, this time last year, I was a happy atheist. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to read the whole story, but it'll be available to you in a, on Thursday night online. We'll have it uh, the link to where you can find this story. And, and the things that changed through, uh, that caused this man to change his, his life and eventually his wife as well, changed her idea about God and about Jesus and Christianity. And one of the things that he said really impacted his life was reading a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christi Christianity. And he said every time, every time that the objection would come be put forward, I would think, okay, there's the, there's the objective, uh, objection that no one can really answer. And then he said Lewis would just start to unravel that objection and, and, you, find, and you get to the place where you say it's really not valid which all confirmed faith in God and the Bible and Jesus. And he said that book had a profound effect on my life, and it has for many, many throughout the years since uh, he wrote it. And then he said there was something else happened. Uh, something, someone introduced me to something called Alpha. And he said I, I, started, I got involved in Alpha, and Alpha helped me so much when it came to understanding God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and what it really means to have your life changed to become born again. He said Alpha was just a, an amazing answer to the life questions that most people ask but or have but really don't know who they can discuss them with or ask them about. So uh, Joanna, as uh, Joanna Goodine, who is uh, one of our pastors on staff here at the church, uh, she is going to be talking about this on Tuesday night, and you can tune in and learn more about it. Uh, uh, and Farah, in her writing on Thursday, and in her, she, she's going to publish some notes, and she's going to be expanding on some of the things I've said here this morning. Uh, she's going to, uh, she's going to give the link to this story as well, and and. Uh, I trust that, that if you've never been a part of Alpha, that you'll become a part. If you have doubts and questions, you won't feel that you're different than other people or that it's, not, it's, it's wrong somehow to question God. Uh, as we've seen this morning, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to doubt uh, whenever answers don't come as you see or wish or hoped or prayed they would. Uh, when it's all said and done, God does love and care for you, even when he seems to be distant, when the, even when there are not immediate answers to prayer. He loved you so much, he gave his son Jesus for you. And Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And I just pray that the, the consciousness of his presence will be yours today. Um, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, whatever fears you have, whatever doubts you have, that you'll be able to just find, a ch uh, even if today it's just the genesis of change and hope, that, that you're just finding that, well, maybe God isn't so far away. Maybe he is closer than I think. Maybe he's here right now. Maybe I can talk to him today. And the truth is you can. And so I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you today. For in the midst of this very serious time of, of doubt that people have about your presence in this world, or even if they're thinking about you when it comes to this pandemic, Lord, we know that you're present. We know that, Lord, there, that you, you have a master plan in mind, and it's going to culminate someday uh, with your return and all that the Bible uh, says about that. And we thank you, Lord, that hope that's based in Jesus is never disappointed, that our faith in, in, in Christ never causes shame. We thank you, O oh God, that your love is for everyone. It's not just for some special group. 
it's it's your love is irrespective of race, color, religion, or anything else. It's not based on uh, being male or female. It's it's your love is for everyone, and I pray today that everyone will experience that. We pray, Lord, for our first responders. We pray for doctors, for nurses, for those that are working in senior care homes. We pray for those that are providing essential services in our grocery stores and and, and so many other uh, places of business. We pray for them. We pray that you will keep them safe. We pray, oh God, this pandemic will end. We, we pray, oh God, that uh, in the midst of it all, people will come to know you and come to know your love and grace. Uh, we pray, oh God, for the the very private anguish that people are experiencing because they've already lost a loved one or someone is in the hospital and they they don't have much time to live or it seems as if they have no much not much time to live but there won't be any opportunity to say goodbye and 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 all of these pains lord you know them all uh, you 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 know our griefs and our sorrows Lord, you bore them on the cross and you carried them away, the Bible says. And we thank you for that. And I pray, oh God, that for the person listening this morning that has never put their faith in you or has had so many doubts, that today will be the beginning of a journey for them that will be life-changing for all eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen to this next song. And uh, well, these next two songs. God bless you and thank you for uh, being here this morning as a part of this service.